The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Welcome to today's deep dive episode of the What Are We Doing podcast. Today, we're talking with Sofika Kostinyuk, one of the directors at the OceanWise Seafood Program. We'll be learning all about how having a trusted logo can cut through all the noise so you can be sure you're buying sustainably sourced products. Seafood is an extremely complicated marketplace. So for people who want to make sustainable choices when it comes to buying seafood that they can feel good about, OceanWise is a really great option for helping to make those choices. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn a little bit about how you can buy sustainably sourced seafood by only looking for a little logo when you go to the grocery store. Air. Vasser. Bunny. G. Moana. Omi. Agua. Low. Enzio. Voda. Miri. Echi. Chai. Shui. Maji. Why? Nero. Aqua. Voda. Water. We doing. And how can we do better? Your one stop shop for everything water related. From discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it. For all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project. And I just want to ask you something. What are we doing and how can we do better? Welcome to this special deep dive episode. Uh, I'm so excited to be speaking with Sofika Kostinya. She is very high up within OceanWise, uh, the director of seafood and fisheries. So I'm so excited. Do you mind uh, just introducing yourself to our listeners and telling us a bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, Dave, for inviting me to join you for this interview. I'm thrilled to learn more about you and your initiatives that are underway, as well as to be able to share um, share what I know about OceanWise. So yes, I'm the director of fisheries and seafood. So I oversee both our science team and our accounts team. Um, and the accounts team are those extraordinary individuals that support our 750 plus business partners on a daily basis as they go on their journeys to sourcing more and selling more and more sustainable seafood products. Um, so it's a very, very relationally based program. Um, we invest heavily in our partners. We invest heavily in communicating um, the most relevant information, the most relevant ways for people, regular everyday consumers to get engaged and to get on board and, and help this issue along. We're really active on social media, um, 
when we are able to be engaged in public events, then we show up at uh, public (laughs) events. Um, But yes, we also conduct the science behind the assessments, which is transparent and available to anyone who's interested in digging in and learning more about what it takes for a fishery or an aquaculture operation to be um, deemed as a recommended best choice item. Awesome. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with your logo and it being uh, associated with different items at grocery stores or at restaurants. Um, But I guess maybe to just get this entire conversation started, can you describe what is sustainable seafood? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll start by saying that seafood is actually widely regarded as the most complicated food system on the planet because fish, at least in the wild environment, don't, don't constrain themselves to geographic um, or, or to political borders. So they will travel between Canada and the US and in the case of salmon, all the way up to Russia, down to Japan, China, we even find them in Chile. Um, same thing goes for, for transboundary species like tuna. Um, you know, the large tunas travel the world's oceans uh, in any given year. So there are many different, I guess, government bodies and oversight bodies that have to hand over jurisdiction from one location to the other. There's really no coordinated system globally to track what is really happening with the world's fisheries. So it's very, very complicated. The good news is for people that are out there listening is that programs like ours distill all of that complexity into something so simple, which is a logo, which is either, you know, you can very quickly judge whether something is recommended or not recommended. Um, On average, it's something like people take six seconds to make a decision in a grocery store as to whether or not they're going to buy a product. So it's absolutely critical to know which of those verification logos you trust and you're comfortable moving forward with your decision. And someday, if you ever want to dig into the science, it's absolutely available. But third-party verification, whether it be on beef, dairy, eggs, whatever, fish, um, is really, really critical because there's a lot of hard work and analysis that goes into determining whether a production system is sustainable or not. So for ocean-wise seafood, we look at sort of three key criteria to determine if a product is sustainable or not. And this is in present day. Moving forward into the future, we have some exciting plans for expanding our program to make it even more comprehensive. But at present, we um, solely judge whether a species and product is sustainable or not, looking at ecological impacts. So we look firstly at, is this stock of fish healthy and abundant and resilient? So can it actually withstand fishing pressure? So that's one. Two, um, and paired with that, is it well managed? So in Canada, our fisheries in the wild, um, in the ocean, are managed by Department of Fisheries and Oceans, DFO. We work very closely with them to obtain their data counts, their analysis, and we defer to them to implement um, management measures, when to open fisheries, how many fish to fish in a given season, and so forth. So that's kind of the first set of criteria. The second set is uh, understanding 
what is the impact on the um, ecology of a system on the habitat? So is there bottom trawling involved? If so, is that significantly damaging the environment? Is it ripping up corals um, or is it simply bouncing along rocks? Depending on where that practice is being used, it can be very negative in terms of environmental impacts or there could be little mm -hmm. to no impact. So that's the next one. And then third is, are other species being negatively impacted? So now we get into issues like bycatch, which many people I'm sure will be familiar with images, um, really, really upsetting images of, for example, albatross being caught on long lines, turtles, dolphins being scooped up in large purse nets, even manta rays um, and, and other sharks. So um, yeah, the, those are kind of the three big buckets of criteria that we use to assess whether a species is um, is a recommended item or not recommended. And each of those criteria, once you, you complete the analysis, are translated into a numeric score. And then those scores are added up. And then it's kind of like a pass-fail. Yeah, so it's, it's getting all of those different... Uh, it's not necessarily one thing that will make it seafood not sustainable in the eyes of OceanWise, but it's the combination of so many different factors because... Yeah, seafood. It's 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 not just a an easy. You go out to the farm and you can see the cattle out in the pasture, and you know where they've been. You know everything that's happened to them. You know how they're farmed. It, there's so many comp competing issues that uh, yeah, that 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 makes it very complicated. Um, and that's why it's great to have uh, have certifications like OceanWise. That's right. Yes, and and so we'll we'll get into this in a while, I'm sure. But just a, an important point of distinction is we are not a certification body. So someone like Marine Stewardship Council (MSC) is a certification, but we are a ratings and recommendations scheme. And I can explain later what the difference is. Perfect, perfect. I will. I will watch my p's and q's then. Uh, <laughs> so, how does the program work? So, is just automatically applied to any fish from a certain area, or do people have to apply for the program? What does it take to get that OceanWise uh, logo uh, associated with it? Yeah, uh, fantastic question. So, there are a few steps involved actually before that logo can be used, and it is tightly monitored because, again, so many people rely on that logo to feel good about the choices that they're making that we want to ensure that there's a lot of integrity behind the use of the logo. So um, the chronology goes like this. One, uh, there's an assessment for a species and or product. Once that assessment is completed, and that's the process that I was previously referring to, then that assessment has a lifespan of five years. After five years, it has to get reassessed to ensure that current, current information is incorporated and it still can be recommended or it is still not a recommended item. So we have around 1,300 of those assessments at present um, in you know, in our That's program, which is a lot. It's a huge amount of choice. Um, and it, it just depends what species it is that is being caught or farmed, 
where it's being caught or farmed and how it's being caught or farmed. So you'll find in those 1300 options, you know, a whole variety of tuna options, for example, depending where they were coming from. Same thing goes for salmon and crab and shrimp, you know, all, all of those species, many, many recommendations with slight variations. So first there's this database essentially of assessments that are available. Now that becomes attractive to business partners because they know that they have options and can rely on the information to offer um, the logo either on their restaurant menus or on their inventories in stores um, or even like suppliers, for example, can show that they're selling OceanWise recommended products Then grocery stores, restaurants will purchase those products. So we work very diligently to attract new partners to the program, as well as to keep partners that are in the program really satisfied and valuing uh, valuing the partnership. So, for example, uh, Business X will say, hey, I've, I've seen this logo around. It's something that I would like to carry in my store. They will reach out to us either through online means or phone calls or, or whatever and get in touch with someone from my team. Um, we will sort of run them through the process of becoming a program partner, which really starts with one requirement, which is very, very small. Um, only one item on their menu or in their inventory must be OceanWise recommended to kind of come in the door. Once that is determined to be the case, we put everything that we have into supporting our program partners to continuously improve their inventories, to swap out items that are not recommended for ones that are recommended, to connect them with suppliers whom we know um, can provide those recommended species to them. And that way, over time, we see this kind of shift to the better and better options um, in this broad group of program partners. When someone wants to put a product on a logo and they're already a program partner, then they'll come back to um, one of my team again and verify that the product that they would like to have the label on is indeed sustainable according to our standard, and then they receive permission to use the logo. So that's kind of, there's a little bit of background work that has to be done before the logo actually shows up. Well, that instills more confidence in that logo, though, that it's not just slapped onto any old thing. There's a lot of thought and a lot of time and effort that goes into ensuring the quality that those choices are are being followed and and the the sustainable practices are being are being met so that's 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 wonderful to hear that's wonderful to hear thank you <laughs> one of the topics that i've done a couple interviews about is the topic of fish fraud in canada and i was curious about how oceanwise ensures the supply chain uh, within its recommended choices so how does oceanwise uh, account for that in the system yeah and that's a fantastic question and always a very relevant question um, because again we want to ensure that there is integrity behind the logo um, and that we have sort of a, a great line of sight on what is actually happening in the marketplace so verification and traceability are huge priorities for our program there are several ways that we do everything that we can to ensure that products are 
exactly what they are and that seafood fraud is not occurring. No system is perfect. And as I say, the seafood supply chain is extremely complicated. Um, so one of the ways that we ensure this is the case is we collaborate closely with the Marine Stewardship Council and the MSC, um, as well as other certification bodies like the ASC, which is the equivalent, but for aquaculture, Aquaculture Stewardship Council. Um, so if somebody says that we're carrying an MSC or ASC product, we always ask for something that's called a chain of custody certificate, which is a verification that every link in that supply chain carries forward that certified product. And eventually that product, along with its certificate, lands in a restaurant or in a grocery store. And then we can say with certainty, this is validated. Where that is, you know, not possible, where there's not a MSC or ASC certificate um, associated with a product, we always ask, say we're working with a grocery store partner, we'll see their inventory, then we ask them to begin tracing back through their supply chain and obtaining as much um, documentation as possible from their suppliers, and then if necessary, suppliers from their producers, so that we can get as close to the water as possible and know with certainty, you know, is this do, do we end up receiving a landing bill? So when this product hit the ground in Canada, what was it registered at as? Where did it come from? What is its um, scientific or Latin name? And then we can sort of say with confidence, this is the product that you are purchasing or consuming. It takes a lot of diligence. <laughs> I will just put it out there um, to, stay, to stay on top of it. And, and I think that when we see these examples of seafood fraud popping up um, in, you know, in reports across Canada or, or Europe or the US, um, I truly believe that those that are selling the product, the end point of that supply chain, almost never, ever intentionally mislabel the product. But because it changes hands so many times, if there is someone who has sort of a less than, um, you know, uh, <laughs> genuine interest in uh, producing a product, share, you know, selling a product that is what it is, or they have sort of ulterior motives, somewhere along that supply chain, something a little bit questionable could happen. And then, you know, five chains down the supply chain, it'll show up um, as something that it truly is not. Um, but as I say, our program, we have very long-standing relationships with the majority of our program partners, and it really is a lot of um, kind of personal trust that is put in our program partners and vice versa. Nobody wants to be um, associated with a fraudulent situation. It's a huge business risk. So um, we do everything we can to protect our partners from ending up in a scenario that would be really undesirable. That's a great answer. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it, it is an issue in some areas of the marketplace with taking all of these precautions and having these longstanding relationships and, and dealing with people that you and companies that you trust. It, it's, it sounds like a really great seal of approval for uh, OceanWise there. Thank you. Yeah. And, and always looking for continuous improvement as well. I will put that in the mix. Yeah. So 
Why should consumers care about where their seafood comes from and how it was caught or produced? Yeah, another another great question, actually. So we should care about just about everything that we purchase. <laughs> I think that it has become abundantly clear, particularly during this crazy time of COVID, that nothing exists in a vacuum. There are ripple effects to anything that is done. Um, and so same goes true for our food systems. Um, seafood, because it's often out of sight, out of mind, as you said, it's not like going to a cattle farm and you can see the beef and you can kind of see what's happening um, and you yeah. know the farmers, but fish are caught in places where the vast majority of humanity will never venture and the fish are under the surface of the water. So we don't actually see what's going on. So <laughs> why why does it matter that we purchase um, and sell sustainable seafood? It really does matter. As I was saying, habitats can be extremely negatively impacted by poor fishing practices, inappropriate gear being used in inappropriate locations, biodiversity loss is significant. And we know, according to all the world's leading scientists from the United Nations to the IPCC report on climate change, the intergovernmental panel on climate change, mm -hmm. um, all the biodiversity studies that have been conducted over the past few decades, that species are in a downward slide. So we want to do everything that we can to ensure that we're not contributing to an accelerated downward slide. And in fact, there are ways to intervene to ensure that fish coming out of the water are actually caught um, and harvested sustainably so that we can continue as a global population to rely on this very nutritious uh, often extremely affordable and very accessible form of protein. So it matters. Um, it also matters for reasons like labor rights. Um, there are a lot of social injustice issues at the bottom of the supply chain in these places where fisheries are unregulated. It's um, This seafood system is fraught with um, terrible practices like slave labor, migrant labor, child labor, indentured labor. And when there is not proper oversight, so one of those key criteria of being properly managed by a respectable government body or an oversight body, if that is not in place, humanity is also suffering. So we need to be really, really mindful and trust these third-party verification and certification schemes that, um, you know, invest all their time and energy <laughs> into understanding what is happening at, at the level of the water to get you the products that are sustainable. And as mentioned before, there is a huge amount of wonderful options out there that are recommended. So um, just, you know, take, take those six seconds and, uh, and look for a logo that you can trust. We have to we have to place our trust in labels that prove that they have done the research and they have done the background work because OceanWise taking all those steps towards recommending these products we have to take into consideration. 
I'm curious a little bit. You mentioned that there's a couple other considerations that you're considering for the future of OceanWise products. And we have uh, an episode coming out about ghost fishing uh, and about oh, an cool. episode coming out about microplastics. And and I'm just curious, uh, are either of these considerations into OceanWise recommendations or, or what kind of other uh, factors are, are you potentially going to be looking at in the future? Very insightful and 100% bang on. So yes, uh, you are right in both of those <laughs> regards. Um, and I will say that OceanWise does not have to be the expert in these new areas of work. There are so many extraordinary organizations already doing this work that have a depth of knowledge and expertise and, and savvy. So we're, we're looking at expanding, but truly through um, deep, deep partnership and deep collaboration, we'll be into the area of ghost gear. So not necessarily microplastics, but ghost gear, um, which is a mm -hmm. fascinating topic unto itself. So ghost it gear really is, is, yeah, I, and I've just, you know, kind of been deepening my understanding of the the complexity of that problem and, and the breadth of that problem. But it's basically just cast off um, fishing gear. So it can be nets, it can be traps, it can be whatever associating with fishing gear that either breaks free during storm events, uh, fails due to overuse, or a lot of the time is simply dumped off of these fishing boats in the in the deep ocean or near harbor because sometimes there are um, financial ramifications with bringing back a certain amount of, of gear to harbor. So it's, um, and that just gets dumped. And then we start seeing the problems of, for example, marine mammals being entangled in this gear, uh, fish being entangled in this gear. We, we see whales with, you know, dragging fishing nets, turtles strangled by them. It's, and, and then of course it, everything eventually washes up on the shore. So, Ghost gear is a huge area of interest for us to expand into. There's an incredible organization sort of leading the charge, the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, and we work mm -hmm. in collaboration with them already, but not integrated into our program. However, I believe that'll be coming in the future years um, or in the coming years. <laughs> There's also um, the huge impact of transportation of seafood around the planet. So what is the carbon footprint of a product by the time it gets to you? The amazing thing is... That's very interesting. Yeah, the amazing thing is the globalization of, well, all, all significant commodities, commodities, fish included in that, um, is that a fish can be caught in Canada, sent overseas, processed in China sent somewhere else, turned into a value-add product with sauce or rub or marinade on it, packaged up, and then shipped back to Canada and sold again, you know, 200 kilometers from where it was originally caught. Nobody, nobody wow. is accounting for that carbon footprint, for all that pollution. Um, that is something we're very, very interested in learning a lot more about and eventually incorporating that into our logo into our label program. And lastly, it's what I was mentioning, um, social justice, human rights issues. There are some incredible groups, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, I'd say, that are making significant headways 
um, on labor issues, labor abuses in the fisheries industry. And we would love to also incorporate that component into our seafood label eventually so that it's truly a comprehensive gold standard. Because I personally am not comfortable saying something is sustainable just from an ecological perspective, but then knowing that there's the risk of human rights abuses, like huge carbon footprint impact and so on. So it's, it's something that we're striving towards over the next five to 10 years. That is so, so insightful because yeah, you can, you can look at this through so many different lenses, Uh, the human rights abuse lens, the carbon footprint lens or the ecological lens. And it's really, it's really exciting to know that that is something that's being worked towards and, and being incorporated and getting a more holistic view. I mean, OceanWise seems to already be uh, taking uh, great steps already in this, in these directions and is already a really great recommendation, but just taking those next levels and being able to provide that much more insight into that product. We're already very disconnected from our food, but this just adds another layer of being able to be connected to what you're putting into your own body. Yep. A hundred percent. So I, I'm really curious about how did OceanWise, the seafood program, get started? Yeah, well, this is why it's really important to speak up and ask questions and always dig a little deeper. So around 2003, from what I know, um, a, a now extremely prominent Canadian chef, Chef Robert Clark, um, who is widely regarded as the godfather of sustainable seafood in Canada, at the time he was not. At the time, he was very perplexed with what sustainability meant for seafood. And he was running um, a pretty highly regarded seafood restaurant in Vancouver. He approached the Vancouver Aquarium, which is our original parent organization. Over time, that has shifted. Um, but he, he approached individuals in the, in the uh, Vancouver Aquarium and said, here's my conundrum. I don't actually know how to back up my claims that something is sustainable or not. So it took a little while for people to start wrapping their minds um, around this issue. There were a few organizations in the, in the States as well as in Europe that around the same time um, were also grappling with the same questions. So there were several programs that were being developed in tandem with each other. In 2005, Robert Clark actually co-founded the OceanWise Seafood Program along with um, Mike McDermott from the OceanWise Vancouver Aquarium at that time and uh, has since gone on to influence thousands and thousands of chefs around the world, um, just really a thought leader in in Canada in particular, a trailblazer. Um, And he, just this past fall, was recognized with one of Canada's highest civilian honors, the Order of Canada, for establishing the program. I know we uh it was such such a bright spot in uh, the darkness of covid but this was last fall <laughs> For yeah sure. yeah it was a significant um acknowledgement of of his contributions so again just back to those humble beginnings one person came with a problem <laughs> that they needed solved and they needed help solving the problem um in that first year or two so 2005 to 67 There was 
you know, a dozen, a handful of restaurants that agreed to swap out one of their items on their menus that was not sustainable for something that was sustainable to test how this would how this would resonate in the marketplace. And it was very successful. Consumers really, really positively responded to that messaging, to the information, to the engagement um, between themselves and the restaurants and chefs. And then the program just started to sort of organically evolve. Evolve. So today, as I was saying, we enjoy over 750 unique business partnerships across the whole supply chain. So not just restaurants, but going back down to the water, uh, grocery stores, suppliers, distributors, all the way to producers. And we're also very heavily engaged in the aquaculture space. There's a lot of fantastic sustainable aquaculture that people probably don't even realize they're eating those products. So clams, mussels, oysters, tilapia, you know, carp, blah, 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 you name it. So much <laughs> of that is uh, actually sustainable and, and far easier to um, control what's happening in those environments, the inputs into the system, what's flowing out of the system. Um, and so you're not negatively impacting the environment. And globally now, more than half of seafood produced and sold is aquaculture, is farmed. And that number wow. is climbing rapidly. So um, it's really important to stay involved in and supporting that sector to ensure that, um, that it is developing as responsibly as possible. And we're getting into some mm -hmm. super, super exciting products like kelp and seaweed that are just blowing yeah. up all over the place that have agricultural applications that, um, you know, you can feed it to cattle and actually reduce their methane output by something astounding, like 90%. Um, so wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's a very, very hopeful space to be in. That's incredible. Yeah, I I was hoping to talk to you a little bit about about kelp and seaweed because uh, it, it seems to be one of the biggest areas of expansion that people don't really recognize as being a food source or as being part of seafood in general. People think of maybe it being part of sushi or something like that, but it has so many other mm -hmm. applications and is already impacting our lives on, on quite a great scale. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Oh, man. <laughs> So uh, could you tell me a little bit about, we mentioned already uh, the Marine Stewardship Council and the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. What's the difference between OceanWise recommendations and a Marine Stewardship Council certification? Yeah, great. And congratulations, because it often takes people, well, let's say forever, to, um, to figure out that there is a difference between certifications and ratings. So you are, you are well ahead of the curve. Um, so at... Yeah, <laughs> gold star. Um, so at the, at the very foundational level where we differentiate, and I would say they're a fantastic program, we totally support them, but we do approach our daily work differently. So a recommendation, rating and recommendation system like ours, looks at um, a region, a global region. So let's say the Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest and then we drill down into species, and then we drill down into gear type that is being used. 
And that's what produces the recommendations. So it's this kind of top-down approach where we're um, kind of clustering everything that could be occurring in that space into a recommendation. The Marine Stewardship Council approaches it the opposite way. Their certifications are driven by specific interest groups, stakeholder groups on the ground. So for example, a fishing collective wants to have that logo on their product, that market recognition, identifying them as Marine Stewardship Council certified, MSC certified. So they instigate the certification process for their specific product. And then they work with the MSC with within their system of assessment, meet the criteria that are required by the MSC. And then eventually, when they satisfy enough criteria to tip them over into that recommend or certification space, then they're able to use the logo on their product. Um, so we come sort of not from a specific client stakeholder um, approach. We, we approach it from a species and geographic region and method of catch approach. They're very complementary, but they are distinct from each other. Yeah. It's something that I had to do a little bit of digging to realize there is a difference. And, and for a consumer, I understand it can be a little bit confusing seeing different logos and not knowing really what to trust. But thank you for, for clearing that up. And then uh, all of the listeners now will be experts. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, um, I would say, just make sure that, that there is a logo that you can trust. So Marine Stewardship Council, like us, like OceanWise Seafood, um, it is a validated process. It is consistent. It is transparent. You can dig into the science um, and then if you have questions, your questions will be answered. So um, I would say that's definitely another logo that, that you should look for on your seafood. On the topic of logo use, uh, are there many instances of logo misuse where uh, logos are used without actually being uh, a recommended or a certified product by OceanWise or other certification bodies? So yes, I will say that definitely does happen. Um, and Almost always, the people that tip us off to instances of logo misuse are our wonderful, trusted program partners because they have their eyes on the ground, their ears to the ground, and they will be furious if someone who's not a program partner is misusing the logo because that um, kind of undercuts their advantage in the market and what they believe in. So we do have um, a tattletale line and it is, you know, it is triggered um, not infrequently. And then we immediately follow up on those, um, on those accounts. And, you know, people will send us photos and tell us where and when they saw something that they believe where a logo was being misused, misused. Um, and then we will immediately ask people if they, indeed are misusing the logo to misuse the logo. However, I will also say that it is a bit of a pat on the back that people do periodically want to inappropriately use the logo uh, without <laughs> permission because it means they yeah. value 
the product uh, being labeled as sustainable with the logo. So actually our first line of um, not defense, but our first line of communication is we heard or we see that that you've placed our logo on your products. Let's get you into the program so we can take you on this journey to see continuous improvement. And um, we definitely have secured some some partners that way. That's yeah. It's it's a strange compliment to be paid, but it's. Uh, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> That's 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 it's it's that's really interesting that you've been able to secure partners through that method. It, it's it seems like it's you it could be handled very differently with a very different approach. Um, but it's it's great to hear that that it, it is handled in in a beneficial and a progressive way, I guess as well. Yeah, you have to turn challenges into opportunities. <laughs> Yeah. Um, have you noticed a shift towards more sustainable fishing practices in response to programs like OceanWise that promote sustainable practices use? Yeah. So, so that's something really interesting that we are beginning to spend a lot of time contemplating. Um, in the beginning, as I mentioned, this program was established to simply be an education and engagement um, program for, for restaurants and consumers. Over time, that has shifted, and we've gotten closer and closer and closer to, to the water, to working with producers. And yes, that is our sincere intent to actually see the changes happening on the water so that species aren't negatively impacted, habitats aren't negatively impacted, and that we can all continue to enjoy sustainable seafood into the future. So we're beginning to understand what is that correlation between a consumer purchasing a you know piece of halibut, sustainable halibut, what does that mean yeah. down, down at the water level? Is that you know, fishermen incentivized to continue doing things the right way to keep bringing that specific product to market. For certain, for certain products, it's undeniable. Absolutely, best choice. You know, they they can get excellent um, dollar for for their product. Um, we shorten the supply chains. That also puts more more money in the pockets of producers. But I'm not getting to sort of the heart of the issue. We. Um, at OceanWise believe, and I think that it's the appropriate belief, is that we can't do this work alone. So fortunately for us, um, we are a part of several large global bodies of similarly minded organizations, one in particular, um, the Conservation Alliance for Seafood Solutions, which includes uh, World Wildlife Fund, MSC, um, organizations like Seafood Watch and Monterey Bay Aquarium, ourselves, blah, 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 mm -hmm. 43 other groups and, and global as well, groups from Japan and China um, and, and Europe as well. Um, so we are all very much aligned in the world, uh, in our worldview of where we want to see fisheries end up over the next 10, 10 or so years. Some of the groups involved in this alliance work uh, specifically on fisheries improvement projects and aquaculture improvement projects, 
where they have people on the ground kind of walking those producers through the steps that are necessary to get them to a place where their products are sustainable, um, so not negatively impacting species and environment. And the reason that producers get engaged in these processes is because there's a reward at the end. Then, once they're sustainably recognized, they can be marketed as such. They will gain market access, market recognition, they'll sell more product. So it really is a win-win situation. Those fisheries and aquaculture improvement projects um, take several years, a lot of the time, to to get from Mm -hmm. a place of not recommended to recommended. Um, But we are seeing more and more producers signing up to become engaged in those improvement projects. So that, um, to me, clearly indicates that um, there's there's been a significant shift in the mindset and that sustainability is now a highly valued, highly desirable designation for a producer, be they producing something in Peru or Chile or uh, Russia. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have certifications for fisheries from all of these locations. Um, and, and product is flowing into the U.S., product is flowing into Canada. When consumers and businesses here send out those market signals that they value sustainable product, the one producing the product is going to respond. Yep, that's uh oh, that's that's really great to hear. There is notice of that shift. Yeah, it's not it's not a it's not a fast fast shift, but it there is momentum in that right direction. Absolutely. So I'm curious about we mentioned the uh, the elephant in the room, COVID nineteen. Hopefully, not actually in the room, um, <laughs> but. I'm I'm curious. I've I've heard a lot about supply chain issues and about the impacts to many different industries. And I have heard a little bit about seafood and how that's been impacted by uh, COVID nineteen with with restaurants not being able to to host the name same number of patrons and 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 things like that. So I was wondering, could you touch on what OceanWise has noticed in their partners and, and what kind of effects that you've noticed in in regards to the COVID nineteen pandemic? Yes, absolutely. So um, not unique to the seafood um, seafood industry and restaurants and so on. Um, COVID was the greatest disruptor of modern times <laughs> um, in terms of everything getting turned upside down. Um, so what was turned upside down, and we're still seeing really, really significant impacts for our restaurant business partners. Um, they, you know, businesses have been shuttered across across the globe. Um Businesses have been extremely adaptive, actually, and resilient. And it has blown my mind over and over again over the past year, just how extraordinary people are in terms of their ability to shift on a dime without a second's notice. So where we've seen huge, um, huge uptake is in the space of takeout, delivery, um, moving, you know, from suppliers supplying high-end restaurants and restaurants in general to quickly pivoting and figuring out how to narrow their inventories and then begin supplying greater volumes of fewer species to grocery stores. Grocery store sales 
have actually gone through the roof um, to the tune of, four, well, through the roof is 14%, which is a huge jump. This is a recent statistic yeah. um, from the US. And I'm, I'm just going to pull up that information so I don't get my numbers tripped up here. Um, so <laughs> frozen seafood sales, and this is um, sort of uh, a snapshot of what has happened in the US. So Canada very, very similarly mirrors the trends that have been observed in the US. Frozen seafood was up 35% in one year. Fresh seafood up 25% wow. in one year. Shelf stables, so that's like your tuna, your crab, your all that in cans, up twenty percent. Um, the biggest, the biggest winner is raw shrimp, um, which is a highly problematic species a lot of the time when it's really? farmed. Yep, forty eight percent jump in sales. <laughs> so um, it's it's Whoa. unbelievable. The restaurant industry has been very very disproportionately hit in this and all of the, you know, all the workers, all their suppliers, anyone who's, you know, a, a niche producer of a high end, you know, product for a high end restaurant, um, they've totally lost their business, right? They also were dealing with um, significant trade restrictions where a number of countries just stopped importing um, from, from, countries overseas, right? And we saw, we saw this, um, some of our colleagues in Australia were saying that the vast majority of Australian seafood has, um, over the last decade or two, been exported to Japan, China, uh, South Korea, and just mm. in, in that region, borders shut down, their producers could not offload the product at, you know, a tenth of the price that they were selling previously. So yeah. now there's just this you know, storehouse of, of frozen uh, product, the fish, uh, the fresh stuff obviously spoils very quickly, and then they stop fishing for it. Um, so just massive, massive disruptions. Um, I was recently speaking with a group of really progressive suppliers that have their own collaborative in, in the States and Canada, asking them, you know, what has their personal experience been over this last year with COVID. And it's just that they said they, they were reeling for the first like month or two, just not knowing what was up, what was down, were ships coming in carrying product, were flights coming in carrying product, everything stopped. Several of them immediately just went to their closest business partners and almost created these little micro economies where relationships deepened, um, understanding deepened, there was way more flexibility. They said people have been extremely, um, you know, generous and adaptable and understanding. And it actually allowed their businesses to kind of leapfrog into new ways of doing their business Whereas otherwise, they wouldn't have had the urgency um, to, to change their practices. So if they were saying, you know, some products were kind of lagging over the last five years, but still some of their customers liked those products and they were holding on to them. But COVID sort of forced them to clean house, to think really strategically, and to sort of start, start fresh um, to be way, way, way more efficient. So it has been all over the board. Some have come out very 
positively some results um, and some results have been really, really damaging, particularly for that food service um, and restaurant restaurant sector. We've seen, um, sorry, another sector that, that has really just taken off this year is all the sort of fresh prep, all the meal meal prep um, and, and those oh, yeah. delivery services everywhere. We are seeing those just pick up steam um, and, and, you know, people are getting almost ready-made meals delivered to them. Then they do a little bit of prep work at home because you can't really go out um, comfortably a lot of the time and sit in restaurants and enjoy. So everything has, has shifted sort of at warp speed over the last year. Yeah, that's it's it's great to hear those cases of, of people really coming together and deepening those relationships and finding ways to work together and finding a way through this together. It's been such a disruption on so many facets and it's so, so sad to see so many businesses are really, really struggling in some cases having to close their doors. But um, hopefully we're able to come out stronger on the other side of this and in many different ways and and pivoting i guess is one of those ways uh for many of those businesses yeah i i totally agree and what i'll what what i'll say about our restaurant partners is um many of the individuals that i know the the executive chefs of restaurants and the owners operators of restaurants are some of the highest energy most creative, most determined people I have ever come across. They work very comfortably, 15-hour days. Um, they're always <laughs> reinventing themselves. So I have high, high hopes um, and great faith that we will see a rebound when um, restrictions lift across the country. Um, but it it will be it will be different. I mean, COVID has undeniably changed everything for for everyone in in every sector it certainly has <laughs> it, there's no other way of getting around it um so if listeners are are listening to this episode and they're super excited about sustainable seafood how can they support the ocean wise uh seafood recommendations how would you invite them to get involved oh thank you so much so Everyone can get involved. That's the best thing about uh, sustainable seafood. You have the opportunity to vote with your dollars. So first and foremost, we would love to invite all of the listeners to follow us on social media, just to learn more about sustainable seafood, about producers, about sort of the, the key current events that are going on in this space. So that's one great thing to do is to follow us. Um, you can always donate if you have the ability to donate to uh, help support our nonprofit that uh, that definitely relies on donations and partner fees and sponsorship to to keep the engines running. Um, when we are able to engage in face to face events, a wonderful way to sort of get a taste, no pun intended, of the program is to participate in events and to enjoy uh, sustainable seafood offerings. Um, if you, you know, shop regularly at a grocery store or you visit a restaurant that currently is not an Oceanwise Seafood Program partner, please encourage them to check out the program and consider becoming a program partner and uh, begin, you know, sort of enjoying many of the benefits that, that I've spoken about today. But I would say most importantly, what the listeners can do is just, you know, make a commitment that they'll 
take those six seconds, um, look for the logo, ask the questions, and then preferentially choose sustainable seafood. Awesome. And I was just hoping one last question. Uh, could you tell the listeners a little bit about your journey on how you got to the role where you are at today with uh, OceanWise? Oh, well, that's, uh, that's another hour-long episode. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, um, sure, sure. I will happily share. Um, and then I should also mention, b- before I forget, um, if people want to follow us, we're at the handle um, at OceanWise Seafood. So same as the program name, at OceanWise Seafood. And then the website is seafood.ocean.org. Um, yes. So, so the question, how did, how did I end up here? Um, I've always been a, a passionate nature lover. Um, I have, you know, spent so much time on the ocean. My parents were both high school teachers. So the second that school closed, we would sort of load up our Westphalia camper van back in the days and then <laughs> RV when I was a little older nice. in high school and just travel across Canada, the US and down into Mexico. And a lot of the time we would end up near uh, on and near bodies of water. So oceans, rivers, lakes, you name it. Um, And I just, yeah, I I fell in love with shorelines and bodies of water. Um, And then my curiosity began sort of expanding around, you know, seashells and the species under the surface and you know what are all these weird plants washing up (laughs) um so so i pursued a degree in ecology at the university of guelph um back back in the yeah it was it was a wonderful place to spend uh five years i guess so i studied ecology um and then i i got into the work world and uh, one of my first jobs was actually with a giant uh second largest if not largest now engineering consulting firm in canada called mmm so marshall macklin monaghan and there were three registered biologists um, in an wow. office building of 400 engineers. Um, so <laughs> I was one of the three and, um, <laughs> I conducted, you know, stream assessments, uh, species counts, kind of walking around, um, Toronto. And, uh, it's amazing. There's a lot of water around Toronto and, uh, yeah. all of the suburbs and, and sort of sampling what was in these streams, uh, how biodiverse they were, you know, what, what, um, species counts there were and so on. Um, But then I really started questioning, you know, how, how much am I contributing to ensuring that, that this ecosystem is staying intact? So I had a whole bunch of questions that, that were swirling around in my mind. And then um, just before I turned 30, I moved out to the West coast and discovered the world of nonprofits and kind of a different way of, um, valuing, I guess, money and, and sort of different inner relationships. Um, women were, you know, a lot of the time more so in positions of leadership and all of that really, really appealed to me. Um, mm-hmm. So fast forward, I eventually ended up uh, working for the David Suzuki Foundation for about five years on uh, environmental rights and marine issues as well. Um, and then eventually landed at OceanWise, um, an organization that is very closely aligned to my core values. And uh, now I have the opportunity to sort of uh, guide my own team of scientists and uh, 
kind of seafood seafood aficionados and and passionate young people um and it's yeah it's really it's really rewarding it's really rewarding setting the course for the next 10 years that's a fantastic story a fantastic career path and uh yeah I, i'm so excited to have had the opportunity to speak with you and learn more about the oceanwise seafood program um and i'll i'll add in all of the links to the social media channels and the website for oceanwise and the show notes uh, i'd just like to thank you again for taking the opportunity uh, and speaking with me i've i've learned so much and i i think the listeners will really enjoy this conversation so thanks so much again for for this opportunity Oh, thank you so much, Dave. Um, again, really, really grateful that you're interested in this topic. Um, your questions were bang on. So, so the top questions uh, that we often get asked and, and some deeper ones as well. So thank you for that. And thanks to your listeners for, for being engaged in this issue. <laughs> I even wore my fish shirt for today. So, Oh, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Sofika and the entire Oceanwise Seafood team. They were super receptive to being on the podcast and was such an easygoing and fun interview. I learned so much and I really hope that everyone can take away a level of comfort when you go and actually want to buy something that's sustainably sourced that has an Oceanwise logo on it. Oceanwise is doing a fantastic job in looking not only to what is sustainable ecologically, but also ethically. So thanks for the great job, Oceanwise. Keep it up. There will be links in the show notes for Oceanwise's websites and their social media channels. So be sure to give them some love there. And keep your eyes out at restaurants and at grocery stores for the Oceanwise logo. Thank you so much for listening to the What Are We Doing podcast. It's been such an experience conducting these interviews and producing these episodes. And it's been great to get lots of positive feedback about these episodes. So unfortunately, these are the last episodes for season one. Fish fraud is our last topic that we're covering in this season. But don't worry, season two will be coming your way soon. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I would just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Polman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash. Thank <laughs> you.